Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. What's this I spy here sitting on the feed? It's a bonus episode. It's a culture club bonus episode, listeners, because we've got a book to tell you about. It's called My Mess is a Bit of Life, and it is written by Georgia Pritchett, who is one of the writers of many brilliant shows like Veep and Succession, no less. She's written a book all about anxiety and the history of her own anxiety, but it's very funny. It's It will make you cackle, and she sort of takes you through her whole life, threading together stories about you know, dating men, then dating women, and then meeting her significant other. I think they're married. Um, her life partner, who she calls the moose. I think it's her wife or the civilly partnered. Stories about fertility treatment and trying to have kids and raising kids with autism, plus also being this amazing female writer who is like a precursor for people like Phoebe Wallerbridge and Michaela Cole. You know, stories about being the first and only woman in writers' rooms for shows on television. It's literally a bit, bit of everything, including incredibly funny stories about Michelle Obama and Ronnie Barker. Hello. But I just want to talk to her about Succession because she wrote Succession. It's one of my favourite things in the world. So we're going to do all of that. Please stay in touch. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com, at homosapiens on Instagram. Uh, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Have a listen to this because I think you're really going to enjoy it. Here's my chat with the lovely Georgia Pritchett. Firstly, thank you for your amazing book that you took oh, the time to write. Thank you for reading it. <laughs> I just loved it. It made me chuckle and it's about anxiety but it's about so much more that's what I loved about it because I think it's all intertwined isn't it yes absolutely yes and it's and it's very short chapters if nothing else you can say that about it I thought it was really lovely to see someone track back through their life about anxiety because actually I hadn't seen that a lot of the stuff you say about anxiety is very like how are you feeling right now you know what I mean in this mm-hmm. moment yeah. and when you feel like this this is what you're doing but when you go back I do with my own experiences of anxiety you know I, I wouldn't yeah. use the word suffer because I think it's I don't know it's part of life but um yeah I think I, I think I said this the other day but I remember my first experience of anxiety was when I kept turning the light on and off before I went to bed oh yeah and it, it but yours were far funnier <laughs> um and I and I loved them do you remember the first your first experience of it well I think really my earliest memories are of worrying about various things and I think I just presumed that's how everyone was um and it took a while for me to realize 
oh, you know, as I got older, hang on a minute, I don't think my friends are measuring their legs every day to see if they've got Robertson's giant limb. <laughs> I think that might be only me. Yes. And then, of course, that's a whole other area. You know, the last thing you want to be as a teenager is different. Yeah. And then when you realise you're different, it, that's another thing to worry mm. about. What's so funny in the book is like you're, you're sort of going, you're creating conclusions based on the facts that you have at your fingertips yes. at the age of four or whatever it was. Yeah. When my mum told me about the tooth fairy, I was just terrified <laughs> because she basically told me that there's some weird old fairy that breaks <laughs> into our house and takes body parts in exchange for money. And that just seemed like a, an appalling state of affairs. Um, yes. Okay, so one of my first memories is... And I think this says a lot about me and not much of it's good. One of my first <laughs> memories is finding the song, The Wheels on the Bus Go Round and Round, a really boring song. <laughs> Does that sound like a surly gay man to you? Yes. Um, but <laughs> If they had a dance routine attached to it, then maybe. Yeah, exactly. Give me but, some glamour. I remember yeah. thinking nursery was a bit unglamorous. I don't know, it was a little plasticine everywhere. And like, I remember looking at the carpet and being like... That's got a yeah. lot of stuff caked into it. <laughs> and and it's, it's frustrating seeing that stuff when I'm not sure many other kids do. No, I think that's sort of partly when I was writing the book, I was sort of struck by how memory works. And, um, you know, when you look back onto those very early memories and they're very impressionistic, aren't they? And sort of fragmentary mm. by their nature. And... I didn't want to sort of imbue my younger self with any kind of hindsight or if I had any mm. adult wisdom <laughs> <laughs> that I could I assure you up. you do. <laughs> so I was trying to sort of stay true to, to the nature of of just when you remember things as a child, you you don't kind of get the whole picture. You just sort of witness or observe certain things, but you don't really get the significance of of it all. Mm. And um, I find that really interesting. And then also while I was writing this, I read this really interesting thing about memory, which is um, that we only ever remember anything once. Did you know this? No. Yeah. And then apparently after that, we remember remembering it. Oh, my God. This is how our brain works. So basically, we are all always sort of crafting our own memoirs or our origin stories because oh. we're constantly sort of re-editing or re-remembering and sort of, I suppose, wittingly or unwittingly kind of changing and shaping our stories and our history. Um, That's fascinating. So, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? They're doing a thing on Radio 4 at the moment, which is about there's some kind of witness court case guy. Oh, yeah. Have you heard this at all talking about how unreliable memory is Oh, to, yes. To the yeah. extent that people are able to recount entire experiences that they have yeah. not had. What I read was that they've kind of made this um, breakthrough with like PTSD. So mm -hmm. if they can help people remember things in a sort of safer and more positive environment, then that will help them moving forward. Mm. Because then the next time they remember, they'll they'll have had a better experience of remembering mm. does it make you go god what do i not remember yeah absolutely and, and also that's what's so weird isn't it when you start to remember things from your childhood suddenly 
something you'd completely forgotten you remember as well and it's mm. like one door leads to another and you end up sort of walking through all these things that you'd long since forgotten and and they they're all still there very vivid yeah and also those things of when you're talking to family you know how often do you recount a story about your childhood and the whole family are like that did not happen <laughs> yeah and, that's so true <laughs> and then someone will say but and normally like you've totally positioned yourself in the center of the story and normally you need <laughs> yes. <of> sympathy <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're we're all the heroes of our own story yeah it's all us yeah. versus the world yeah because i'm fascinated by anxiety because i it's actually something that's got worse as i've got older or better shall we say you're better at it oh thank you yes <laughs> note to self it's your superpower yeah okay well, that's good <laughs> i wonder if it's to do with having an imagination as a kid yeah yeah and i don't want to be reductive at all i always say that and then say something reductive but like <laughs> you know it's like my friends with less imaginations at the forefront everybody has an imagination but less sort of willing to go down those paths I always find a lot more relaxed whereas if you are yeah. like you know someone says something and then you can imagine in your head what it could become and yeah I, I wondered I noticed many of your stories were in fact the things you're anxious about were beautiful you know stories coming alive in your head <laughs> Yeah, I think that's really true. If if you're creative or imaginative, you're just much better at thinking of terrible things that might happen. Mm. And I think as well, if you're self-aware, mm -hmm. that's another can often lead to anxiety, I think. But there, I think both those things, you know, I like that you said you don't suffer from it. I think that's right. I think you experience mm. it, don't you? And and self-awareness can be an incredible strength and it can be quite difficult because you're just always so aware of your own failings and foibles and shortcomings. Um, What's lovely about the book is it's very circular because it starts with you saying, mm -hmm. I went to someone, was that purely because of anxiety or was it anxiety plus? Yeah, I think um, I'm going to join you on the reductive mm. wagon yeah. and say um, i'm on board we're all on it and say that i you know as a typical british person or maybe typical middle class person um not very good at expressing my feelings or talking about my feelings when things are difficult mm. and you know just kind of squashing everything down for decades mm. worked pretty well for a long time and then suddenly some kind of payload was hit and uh, some limit was reached and then I kind of hit crisis and so yeah I think I just didn't have it's so weird isn't it because I think of myself as someone who loves words who reads who writes who you know my, my whole world is words mm. And then suddenly you reach a point where you can't find the words to express what you're going through and you can't find a way of communicating that. And that's a pretty scary mm. place to be in. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what happened. And just for anyone who, and there are no spoilers here, but, you know, you kind of start the story like that and then we go through your life with all these brilliantly funny stories but then we actually end up back at the first page and it's like you going into yeah. that room to talk to the doctor and yeah when I was reading I had a question 
it's not reductive it's probably inflammatory um <laughs> but oh, good. I'm, i'll prepare to be furious yes yeah. so my uh this is gonna be inflammatory to my parents as well my mum and dad were amazing i had such a happy home yeah. life all the rest of it but it was quite free and easy like there weren't a lot of rules and then my mum worked and so when she did work we would go to this woman up the road Mm-hmm. And she would look after us. And she was also wonderful. But she had been trained as a nanny. And everything was very rigid. Oh, yeah. And you had a bath at an exact time. You played a board game every night before you went to mm-hmm. bed. And all this, is, it was very Mary Poppins. And yeah. it was all new to me. And yeah, I found that that was some of my least anxious times because mm-hmm. I was in a system yeah, and I, I was wondering about, because I remember you were saying in the book that you went to a school where you didn't even have to go if you didn't want to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what was that? School. I think, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be allowed these days, but it was this amazing school where you just kind of didn't have to go unless you felt it was right for you to go that day. And you just kind of expressed yourself through plasticine and rolled around on the carpet and did finger painting. And, but I think that's so true, isn't it? I mean, I do feel for our parents and also being a parent, trying to feel Mm. not too hard on myself, but yeah, my parents were fantastic and there were no rules really. And then I went to this great school where there were no rules and it's so funny. It's like most people's idea of paradise, but, but for some reason, it makes people like you and me just crave a boundary yeah, yeah. and just want to be told off a couple of times yeah. about something and yeah. just know where we are, get our bearings a bit. Um, yeah, because I but, think, yeah. I wonder if this, we're about to come out of this analogy very well, by the way. But so, you know, <laughs> I'm just shooting the breeze here. If it's zero boundaries plus big imagination, plus human nature I think you can go to like the worst thing that could happen at any given moment Mm. whereas if I know I'm only playing this board game for 30 minutes and then I have to go upstairs and I don't know I I think maybe it's it's a personal combination thing is what I'm trying to say plus yeah and and also let's be honest it's a kind of first world problem isn't it we had the luxury of thinking the tooth fairy might be coming for our kidneys next or yeah. something because we didn't have to worry about the basic sort of food and shelter and um parents are, were nice to us and things so um yeah and, and it's, it's kind of like in both those counts it's about being given too much in some respects it's like the lack of boundaries yeah. plus the lack of want that means you can sit there theorizing about but also i'm aware that if you're a child and you're scared you're scared you know and yeah yeah. I I wonder if there's something in it yeah I think so and I think also you know as you as you get older as you were saying you kind of get used to it and I think what's definitely helped me is when you when the sort of those feelings of kind of fear or being overwhelmed or anxiety kind of wash over you that's incredibly unnerving um, but once I sort of started to see my various symptoms as like creatures, <laughs> um, that sort of helped. Mm. So, so in the my son's very into Godzilla. So I've sort of because of spending so much time thinking about Godzilla, <laughs> I sort of would equate certain feelings to Godzilla, like coming and stomping all over my inner Tokyo, mm. um, which is a feeling I sort of get quite often. And then similarly. 
that kind of gnawing feeling in your intestines i i kind of came to sort of know that as this dark overlord beaver that would move into my mm. stomach and just chew on my intestines and probably do dark overlord poos and all sorts of other <laughs> evil things that I imagine dark overlord beavers do. Mm. But that somehow thinking of them as kind of visitors, you know, unwanted visitors, but visitors who come and they do go again has definitely helped mm. me rather than just feel at the mercy of feelings I can't control, which is a horrible feeling. Yes. I I have a a version of that, which is like, I feel like there's a comet just below my chest mm. and it's very propulsive and it's like, a am talking about like a red burning comet yeah. and it's pushing me yeah. forwards. It, it, it amazes me how often I don't notice that that's what's going on and then I'm like, oh, it's that. And then I can... I can almost make it go away. But something that's yeah. been happening to me lately, which is really which is really annoying, I keep doing it on Zoom calls when I'm interviewing people like now, where right. my mind will go completely blank. And, oh, yeah. and that's anxiety. Also, one level into that, while I'm talking to someone, my brain goes, you're going to forget. <laughs> and then my brain's like, no, I'm not going to forget. And then it goes, watch, you're forgetting. <laughs> and do you ever get that yeah oh my goodness yeah yeah it's gonna happen really. to me loads now <laughs> yeah we're both just gonna be staring at each other in silence <laughs> for the next 40 minutes with sort of alarmed wide yeah. eyes but how are you today for example today yeah today i feel good just come from the succession writers room which is very wow fun and hard work mm. and so my head is full of terrible characters <laughs> and, and what we're going to do to them and make them do to each mm. other um and I definitely like writing is a real lifeline to me I think it's the only thing in my whole life I've never been confused about I, mm. I knew I wanted to be a writer from before I could even write and I've been confused about every single other thing but that's been a constant and that's what I feel very lucky about is it's my job, mm. but it also definitely is a sort of a solace and an escape and a and a kind of thing that keeps me sane. So if I've had a day where I've done lots of that, I feel quite grounded and good about life. Yes, interesting. I can relate to that. I'm actually way less anxious when I'm really busy. Yes. Can I ask you about succession? Yes. Because it is on the list of the most life-changing things that's ever happened to me. I just think it's the most beautiful, <laughs> funny, wonderful thing. I think I'm pretty sure I first saw it before I knew anything about who was involved. But mm. knowing the crew behind it, you know, Jesse Armstrong, who was Peep Show, and you, who was Thick of yeah. It, and, you know, and all those yeah. things, it was like, I was so shocked that America would let that happen in some respects without being... Yeah. I don't mean that in a rude way. I just think it's... a possibly no, a bit agree. more inventive than sometimes they are with those enormous shows it's like they get these american writers to write about american stories yeah i yeah i think there was definitely some trepidation felt about whether this you know the core group is really kind of a bunch as you say a bunch of slightly scruffy shambolic <laughs> british comedy writers yeah. and you know could they um pull off a sort of high-end glossy american drama and and what's quite funny is uh in lots of ways no we couldn't <laughs> um because we had to get all these consultants on board uh while we were writing the first season 
one was a rich consultant who had to tell us what it was like to be rich (laughs) because we had no idea. (laughs) And um, it was really interesting because I'd... um, We'd sort of had a guess about what it might be. But this is a, a group of people who are just so excited that HBO are paying for our prep sandwich that we that, that our level of sort of what it might be like yes. to be rich is, is not the same. But I remember um, in the first season, I wrote this episode about Thanksgiving. And I remember the rich consultant really kind of going to town on me because... Well, first of all, I think I had people wearing coats. And he was like, rich people don't wear coats. They go from there car to their jet to their building and they you know their shoes are only ever on carpet they're never on ground (laughs) and then also I had sort of for Thanksgiving I had um I'd put that the maids were sort of serving the the food and you know women in maids uniforms they were like where on earth did you get this idea (laughs) and I, I just panicked and I was saying I just I really don't know. I think either porn or racist <laughs> Tom and Jerry episodes, but I just thought rich people had maids. Wow. And they're like, no, they have very handsome young men in chinos and polo shirts. Yeah. And there's a whole agency for them. So yeah, in lots of ways we didn't and we got more writers who were from New York and and knew about New York and things. But I think yeah, it's funny. I think no one really noticed it at first and then um people sort of caught up on on lockdown but I feel like in a strange way this bunch of comedy writers that that kind of sensibility of really honing every line and every word and making it count Mm. has paid off because because just again to be very reductive there are sort of American dramas you know at one extreme say 24 where it's just all plot Mm -hmm. and it's all the action and it's not the sort of characters and the dialogue and the nuance and the exploring those little moments where humanity lies, those socially awkward, weird Mm. parts of being human that I think we have such fun with on the show. And seem to be what people coming to television for more now. Yeah, I think so. That feeling authentic and real and and recognising the sort of the weirdness of human beings and how we interact when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm aware you're not my doctor, but I 
think I should ask you the question. Okay. There's much discussion about how the people in succession are unlikable, let's say, for, mm. again, reductive, yeah. because we all adore them. But I don't think they're that unlikable. <laughs> What's the matter yeah. with them? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? I, you know, I had some hesitation when Jesse asked me to to write on it and sort of thought, do I really want a write, to write about a lot of rich, white, straight men who are destroying the world mm. but actually it's been really like a great challenge but also really interesting I think you have to dig so much deeper with someone like that to find their humanity and to to treat them with compassion and say you know for example Roman who I am secretly in love with yes. you know that here is on the surface a pretty awful human being but when you kind of look beneath the surface um He's so damaged. He's so vulnerable. He's so insecure. He He's one of the few characters that loves, he really loves his dad. He really loves his siblings. He really loves Jerry, mm. which is sort of so wrong and so right. So and so I think, you know, it's, we can't sort of turn it into friends where they all hug and learn and become lovely people. Mm. But I think it's interesting to, to, it's always more interesting to look at characters without judgment or blame and, and look at them with compassion and, and try and work out what makes them mm. behave the way they behave. Yeah, and also, like, I don't know, maybe this is something I just don't fundamentally understand about storytelling, but I don't know that I look to the TV show I'm watching to like the people. I'd, I'm able to make mm. that judgment about whether they are doing right or wrong myself. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not aspirational. I think we've moved beyond aspirational TV, haven't we? And now it's more about examining sort of the world and the way the world is run and where the power truly lies and all of those. Yes. and I, Interesting. I, that's what I think I love, like you say, the examining. And how did you find, because the tone is so specific, did you discuss that or did it sort of come about? It's, you know, of course evolved. I mean, Jesse's fantastic and a genius. And I think we all wanted it to be funny. We wanted and to feel real. So I think that hopefully the drama and the comedy feels truthful. And I think what's great about that we've sort of... um getting better at over here but the american sort of tv shows have done for a long time is um over here we so often have characters who are unwittingly funny or are funny because they're so awful or stupid or bad at their jobs Mm. and in america they're very good at saying well these people are funny and they're trying to make each other laugh that is Mm. that's who they are and i think we felt this family you know in my family, we certain, certainly always trying to make each other laugh or teasing each other or, make you know, embarrassing each other. Mm. And that feels very real that that this, this is a, a family that's like shocking each other, like making each other laugh, like teasing each other and and that those relationships are real and are important to them. And do you, sorry, I'm having a brain freeze. And I mean, I've seen every minute of every episode and I've also seen, seen some twice. How much LGBTness is there in Succession? I can't remember now. Well, I mean, not very much. It's interesting, isn't it, how characters take on a life of their own. I had sort of advocated for Greg to be gay mm. until sort of last season. He hadn't really <laughs> hadn't done anything with anyone. anyone. Yeah. Um, 
There's Lawrence. And I think certainly that we were talking a little bit around it today. The kids kind of move in a circle where I think anything, anything goes. I don't think anyone's closeted Mm -hmm. or not going to do what they want to do. Um, Yeah, I mean, Roman feels a bit omnivorous, doesn't he? (laughs) He does, yeah. He feels a bit fluid and pan. And I don't think he'd hold back if he fancied doing something. Mm. He wouldn't hold back. And what lots of bits in the book I loved about being a female writer and to Mm -hmm. see in black and white things we all know, but to see that you were the only female writer for the first 15 years of your career or something every time you went in 25 yeah 25 how old I am and and even back then and a a sort of discussion around sexuality being represented in a room I mean how how do you identify sexuality wise that's a good question I don't I mean I live uh, you know I've lived I'm married to a woman Mm. um, and have been with her for 22 years so um definitely when I was younger I dated men and women and I don't know if I genuinely don't know if I was deeply closeted or way ahead of my time (laughs) um (laughs) that's book two (laughs) exactly (laughs) but yes I think it's so interesting isn't it watching the way sort of labels we have evolved and labels have evolved and certainly you know I went to a pretty rough secondary school where it was scary and I was scared of being labelled and uh, that would have been bad news. Mm. And then sort of moving through to when labelling yourself becomes quite liberating and exciting and then now to a time when sort of younger people are either reinventing labels or rejecting all labels, which I find really exciting. Mm. So yeah, it's it's a tricky area, or it, or at least it's an evolving area. So I yeah, I would say I live with a woman, and that's where I'm at. That's, and that's good. That's enough type thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. me sexual. I don't really mind what people. You know, obviously, I I would say I'm gay, and people say I'm gay, and I don't mind mm. that. It doesn't bother me. Do you ever? feel that there's that kind of um or that you witness like a kind of bisexual erasure or you know pansexual erasure or you know that people referring to you as gay is a bit reductive this is the word of the day i think what was tricky when i was sort of first working was to be the only woman in the room to be the only person who hadn't been to oxford and cambridge Mm. and now you know and now i'm also the only gay person that's Mm. a lot of onlys yeah so I did I did kind of think that's that's a lot I'm and you know part of writing the book really was because I think as the only woman I was definitely there was definitely a sense of like don't complain and don't make a fuss about anything mm. and then I think when I came to like write the book I thought there's a definite distinction which is sometimes hard to to spot when it's your life hmm. um between complaining and just being honest and and so i felt in the book i had to say some things which people it might not be fun for people to hear about how sexist it was and how i was sexually assaulted hmm. and how difficult it was and how discriminating the the world could be and 
I just had to kind of think, I want to do this for all the young women coming through. I don't feel this is complaining. I feel this is being honest mm. about how it was. And I think that's really important to do. I think it isn't complaining. It's telling the truth. Absolutely. And it would be fine, should be fine if you were complaining because it's complainable yeah, yeah. stuff. <laughs> it's worthy of complaint. Yeah. But you've also had some other moments where the fact that you're a female writer is used in rather more unusual ways. Like, what? I couldn't believe the Mel B story. I couldn't believe the Spice Girls story. <laughs> Did that really happen? <laughs> well, obviously. Yeah, it was all, it's all true. Yes, I was there with, a, with another writer, a man. So they were filming Spice World mm -hmm. and they had a bit of an argument. It all seemed like it was filming might stop for the day. And, I mean, we've got to remember here... My God, they were young and they were coping with stuff I could not cope with at any mm. age. And they were working so hard as well. Um, but they had an argument and it, when, uh, Kim, the other writer and I kind of got to the bottom of it, it seemed to be the problem was that Mel B asked them to go to the loo with her and then wouldn't wait for them afterwards. <laughs> the classic, don't know if this is just a female thing, but classic. We've all been there. <laughs> Nothing worse than that. Yeah, um, cheeky. Yeah, so we, we had to have a chat and, and I like to think my legacy, if nothing else, <laughs> is that the Spice Girls lived to sing another day. But why were they sending a writer? I think just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think because we talked, you know, you obviously when you're work, that that's what's sort of great about being a scriptwriter is you do it's this fantastic or can be fantastic relationship with the actor or performers. You yeah. know, you it's a completely symbiotic relationship. You need each other. You you can't have a scriptwriter without actors, and and actors can't act without a script. Yeah. So it's quite an intense and important relationship. So I think we were seen as or maybe it's more like world war one where you just send the people the expendable people in over the top first <laughs> over the top uh. um, one of the things you spoke about which i thought was really interesting when you started working with joe brand which was so nice to be working with a female comic and someone who's also really lovely um mm. that the terrain at that time speaking again about hindsight was that if it was a woman and she was bigger, she'd have to send herself up or felt that she had to send herself up type of thing. Mm. So you're writing, you said something very beautiful and poignant, which is like, I finally, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, that like finally got to write for a woman. And yet then I had to write fat jokes about her. Yeah. I mean, she had to preempt it because she said, if she didn't say something within a couple of minutes, someone would shout it from the audience. Mm. And then that throws you off. You can't sort of do your job and deliver your set as as well as you would if someone had just said something horrible to you. And the thing that I find very shocking thinking back to that time is not only that drunk people, drunk men in the audience would do that, but also Gary Bushell in The Sun mm. would print terrible things about her and that was acceptable, that he would absolutely troll her and say the most vicious hateful things and that was printed in a national newspaper and that was apparently okay it's so weird isn't it because we've got a long way to go it is important to note and we've got a lot longer way to go outside of 
privileged countries that have human rights. But we've also, things have changed a lot. That Those things that happened are so shocking when you see mm. and read about the vitriol directed at people. Um mm treated like they weren't people really and particularly i think women by the press if you think about well it's now you know everyone's kind of got on board with the britney thing but for years you know britney whether it's britney or daniela westbrook Mm. or um any number of women were seen as fair game and you could absolutely hunt them down and torment them and push them over the brink Mm. and it was seen as kind of a a sport a kind of blood sport kind of you know pursuing women and and making them utterly miserable and traumatized but the britney thing was so fascinating and you know my Mm. god those fans of hers did what an incredible job they did that you know they shouldn't have had to have done but you know britney had some mental health issues and that was seen as hilarious and and newsworthy and her children were taken away from her mm. but kind of at a similar time you know oj simpson and michael jackson whatever you think they did or didn't do they were allowed to keep their children mm-hmm. so it's it's just incredible the the different ways that media approach male and female celebrities where do you think you're at with the opportunities for women because i'm i mean i read some headline from you saying you can't get a show made in the UK if you're a woman so I had to go to America type thing any improvements Mm. (laughs) (laughs) well I mean it is it's interesting isn't it thank I'm a sort of comedy refugee and that I'm luckily I get work in America and that's fantastic Mm. Um, I think you know every single broadcaster here has said to me when I suggest shows with you know women in the lead have said we've already got something with women in it do they still say that still saying that and also Mm. and i'm not criticizing another comedy because i don't think people in the business of making people laugh should should sort of turn on each other but i it does strike me that in 2022 the fact that one of our most sort of our longest running and most popular sitcoms is a man in a dress Mm. is odd when it could be a woman (laughs) Mm -hmm. um you know we've never had a woman in the lead of a sitcom for that many seasons like that Mm. how great would that be yeah so i think we've got a way to go i think what's good is that incredible writer performers like michaela cole and uh phoebe waller bridge and sharon horgan and ashling b have written these fantastic vehicles And that's brilliant. But I would say that, again, has come from a place of discrimination in that that these are women actors who felt I'm not being given interesting enough roles. I'll write my own one. Mm. And they have done. And then that's been brilliant. And, haven't you know, it's not just women who benefit from that. We all benefit from that. They're brilliant shows and they're authentic voices and they're stories we don't normally get to hear. So, So that is kind of something that's great. But it's an, I mean, now I feel like I am complaining, but it's interesting, isn't it? When there's, when there's a situation where women are, you know, we've seen it in much more serious terms in, in the news in the last few months with how women are treated by the police, for example. When hmm. 
women are being discriminated against, it's still seen as women's job to solve that problem. So people like Phoebe and Michaela and Sharon and Ashling have done a brilliant job in trying to solve that. But until we all try and solve that, it's not really going to change yeah. properly. 100%. And also, do you think that when we're talking about a sitcom with a man dressing up as a woman being in the lead, it, which is Mrs. Brown's boys, that there's two problems with that, that that really frustrate me. One is that, like you say, there's not a, a woman leading a show for as long as that. But actually, it's to do with, it's the misogyny baked into the joke of a man in a dress and mm. transphobia. And, you know, yeah. and it, it, I find it really hard to talk to people about that because they don't get it. And it's like, I agree. It, it's, it's like, no, that wouldn't work if we recast him yeah. with a woman. The whole thing would be gone because it's punching yes. down. Yes. When it, but technically it shouldn't be down because it's level. But, you know, like it's yeah. saying, isn't it so ludicrous that I would take a hit of my masculinity to wear this dress or do this thing? And mm -hmm. it's that that makes me feel really sad about progress because. Mm. That is, and it's personal because I think that's all the shit I got as a kid was because I was effeminate. And mm. so it's just, I just feel like there's, you can put a piece of paper between what's yeah. happening there and what was happening 40 years ago, however long it was. Um, yeah. You know? I know. It's, it, that's a really interesting point, I think, because the last time I watched an episode, I can't remember why, but a neighbor came round and, sat in the sink and then Mrs. Brown tripped over and it looked like they were having lesbian sex. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and it just was so depressing. Mm. And I just thought, I don't, I know people who love that show and, and good for them. I'm not, you know, as I say, I don't like as a comedy writer to say other comedy shows are wrong, but mm. I do not know women or any gay people who watch that show and don't feel uncomfortable or depressed exactly that's it and it's like i i'm with you it's like i don't want to criticize anything but i i also want to say that you need to understand the ramifications of your actions if you're watching something like that and not understanding mm -hmm. that something is going on that is relevant to people outside of your own experience you know yeah and you know way too late and, the, and i'm not well i am comparing but uh I understand there's much more sinister and serious connotations to people dressing up or pretending to be different races. Mm. That's much more serious. But I do think that, you know, we do have to now start having those conversations about should able-bodied people play disabled characters and should men play women mm. because it doesn't feel <laughs> brilliantly respectful. No, because um, if you remove all the intention it's coming back to a joke that's taking the piss out of women yeah. it's not taking it's not trying to say anything yeah isn't it the yeah. biggest rating show on television or something though yeah so what do we know we're idiots well you wrote succession so they can all fuck off <laughs> georgia you've been amazing thank you so much i oh, thank you so much so grateful for your time particularly at the end of a long day of writing of succession i'm literally going to go to bed wondering what the hell is going to happen you might, you would have spoken about something that we will see on screen and I just think that's fascinating. <laughs> have you got any tiny piece of information you can give us 
any of any description. I mean, I, f- I feel like my door will be kicked down by HBO if I, I even pull a face. I but I w- all I would say is that I do feel that the end of season three left us in a really exciting place where we've never been before, mm-hmm. where where the children are outside of things and together. And I think that's a really exciting thing to explore because we haven't seen that before. Yes. So. Well, I cannot wait. When's it coming out? Like two years. Mm, I think, it, yeah, we won't finish filming it till early next year. So it's going to be a while, but we'll we'll try and hurry up. Can I ask you one last question? Um, because of filming in lockdown, or was it filmed in lockdown? We got delayed by like six months and then it then it was filmed in lockdown okay. uh, with a lot of protocols. Yeah, it was tough. Because when everybody first goes to Italy in the most recent season yeah. I was with my husband and I think he was like you know it's filmed during lockdown there was like two shots where I was like yeah see that's not Italy that's not Italy and then they went outside <laughs> into the Umbrian hills or wherever it was and I was like <laughs> I think I think they went to Italy <laughs> yes it was real Italy there was a lot of quarantining oh, um, but yes it was real Italy I really enjoyed myself chatting to Georgia, fanboyed a little bit about Succession, but I really had to hold myself back. She's wonderful. Please, we only got on to like a 13th, I don't know why I said 13th, 12th of the stories that I want to talk to you about in this very funny book. It's called My Mess is a Bit of Life. She's amazing. Go get yourself a copy and then we can all talk about it. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com, at homosapiens on Instagram, and send us your agony uncles. Remember to do that. All right, take care, listeners. 